welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So I want to talk about relationships before responsibilities. That's the title of the message. Just over 20 years ago, in fact, to be exact, on October the 25th, 1999, in the US, a chartered Learjet had two pilots and four passengers on board, took off from Orlando and Florida en route to Dallas. And after a while, it was due to take a left turn to head towards Texas, but instead it kept flying northwest. And the air traffic controllers uh, noticed the flight plan wasn't being followed. They called them up. There was no response. Repeated attempts to contact the pilots were met with this deafening silence. And so they actually sent up five fighter planes to make visual contact. Two of them were able to come right alongside the plane within 20 metres or so on either side. But the Air Force pilots were unable to see inside because the windows were all iced over. And the Learjet kept flying on autopilot for four hours, over 2,000 kilometres, and it finally crashed into a field and it killed all six people on board. The most famous being the professional golfer, Payne Stewart. Some of you may remember this. And it was a bizarre and tragic event that received worldwide attention. And investigations showed that somehow the cabin pressure had suddenly been lost soon after they uh, got going in the flight and the lock of, lack of oxygen suddenly incapacitated everyone and led to the tragedy. You know, if you'd been on the ground that day somewhere in the Midwest of America, you might have seen that plane flying overhead and you wouldn't know that there's anything wrong because it would appear to be like so many other planes, just heading safely, seemingly safely towards its destination. And we often see planes like that just cruising along, maybe with a contrail and just coming in, you know, to Sydney or taking off and flying. The reality, of course, was for that plane that inside that cabin and that cockpit, something was desperately wrong. The plane was headed for disaster. And that can be the case, sadly, with some people's lives. We can be cruising on autopilot, keeping up appearances, flying through the day, but inside things aren't right and we can appear to have it all together, even as Christians, working hard, smiling, putting on the smile and says, how's it been fine? And being nice to people, serving God, busily volunteering in the church, but in the inside we can be in crisis, we can even be on a collision course to disaster. Or if not that dramatic, uh, at the very least, we can just be on the right, or sorry, on the wrong flight path, just heading in the wrong direction and busily going that way. And the further you go, the further it is to sort of come back to get on track again. And so at the beginning of a new year, a new decade, it's very exciting. There's a lot of things to do in our lives, but rather than just launch into our roles and responsibilities that we've God, it's good to reflect, and perhaps you've already done this, hopefully, over the summer break that you might have had. We do well to consider what's going on inside, 
what what am I what's my heart situation I need kind of a heart checkup if you like to consider my ways to to assess the direction of my life to find out what the the motivations and and feelings and convictions and beliefs and attitudes and all that's going inside me because that will direct how I'm going on the outside and rather just put a veneer up on the outside to the world and then carry on in the wrong direction it's really good for us to look at the most important things which is what's right on the inside of our heart because the Bible tells us that out of the heart flow the issues of life or the direction of our life now we had some great messages the last couple of weeks uh, I um, haven't heard them all but uh, I know Hudson and Janelle preached about teamwork and um, they didn't know that they were going to be sharing on very similar subjects I'm sure they came across quite differently uh, different kind of personalities I liked Hudson's quote at one point he just said look the fact is if you're bored in church you've only got yourself to blame and uh, I'm sure Janelle might have brought things across a little more subtly than that but um, it's still a good point um, and it's exciting to be in a team and to work together and get things done and serve God but it's no good running hard for God if you're not firstly walking with God walking in step with God listening to him talking with him keeping in touch with him keeping in step with him and where he's going and his pace it's no good working alongside people if you're not getting along with people and uh, you know we can if we're not careful strive again to get things done maybe in the house of God or in our workplace or in the family or in other groups of, but if you're not enjoy, enjoying the journey as they say it's not really worth it because some people are just running on empty you don't want to go out there just causing friction rather than enjoying fellowship with the people that you're doing life with and uh, and doing it without grace and love and just empathy and appreciation of others and you miss out then on the best part of life which is relationships we've probably all got examples of times where you know the, the best times if you think of the most enjoyable times in life it'll be with other people and because of other people and conversely probably the worst times in your life you felt isolated or alone or distant or or separated or hurt be, somehow that the relationship has been part of the the hurt and the pain if it hasn't gone well and so I want to talk about relationships and and just make sure that we understand that they're a priority and a foundation before all the responsibilities that we have in life it's important that we get things done and we're living you know productive fruitful lives that's great but we've got to get our relationships sorted and of course number one we need to think about our relationship with the Lord next week I want to talk more about how we get along with each other and with people but um, uh, let's think about our relationship with the Lord you know this year I'm reading the Bible I started a program that reads that goes through the Bible over two years maybe you've done a Bible in the year program I've done that before and it's great but I find that I'm just speed reading a little to get through it all in a year but two years is a really cool pace you can actually consider and understand what you're reading and uh, what struck me early on when I started reading um, Genesis and you may have had this experience God's pretty amazing and he's created the universe and and uh, and and all this amazing stuff but early on you see that he intends to be in relationship with people which is kind of 
cool and amazing because he's got a lot to do. He's invented, you know, and created the universe and star systems and, and then our amazing planet here with all the intricate ecosystems and flora and fauna, all the amazing animals and the landscapes and features of it all. It's all awesome. But it's clear when you read in Genesis that God's number one creation was mankind. People kind, excuse me. Um, 21st century. Um, humankind. And when you read Genesis 3, it says that God came and would walk in the evening in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. That was his intention. Now, of course, that was marred, that relationship was marred by sin. Um, and so then God is determined to repair it. So he sends Jesus, his only son, and uh, you know we can be forgiven for our sin and restored into that relationship with God. And even before Jesus came, the whole Old Testament is about the relationship that he has, it's pretty up and down, uh, but he has with this chosen people, the people of Israel. And you, re- and you see this amazing history and uh, there are insights into people's lives. And invariably, when you read through the Old Testament, anyone who makes a mark in this earth and does something meaningful with their lives had as the foundation of their pursuit of excellence or their endeavours or whatever they did, the foundation, the core of their lives is a relationship with the Lord. And so, for example, let's have a look at Moses. You may know the story. Although we try to assume nothing. Uh, so uh, because, you know, you've been in church circles for a while, you think, oh, yeah, everyone knows the Bible, you know, but we want our church to be open to people of all backgrounds, all walks of life. We don't want to assume. I mean, the very first time I had communion in a church freaked me out, and so I try and remember that and just appreciate it. I had no idea what was going on. We had a, uh, a dinner uh, once with a young couple. Um, no, well... She was just not yet married. She was in our connect group at the time and she was, we were kind of matchmaking her with this guy and they're happily married today. It was awesome, very exciting to see them to get together. But when she was single, uh, she's a brand new Christian, very keen. We used to, she used to come for dinner before we had our connect group and uh, she'd sit there and she'd ask all these questions and tell me that. And, and we got on to uh, adultery because uh, we remember saying, well, you know, that's not the go basically, uh, like David and Bathsheba. And she went, oh, yes, right. Do I know them? Do they come to the Connect Group? Right. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we're talking. And, again, you may not understand what I'm saying. So that's in the Bible, King David, you know. Uh, anyway, so Moses, he's a guy in the Old Testament, and most of us have heard of him. Uh, and he's, um, he's in Israel, and all the Israelites are oppressed. In, sorry, they're in Egypt, I should say. The Israelites are oppressed and pretty much in a situation of slavery by the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Moses has a go at trying to uh, have a go at releasing the people and he's angry and, and so he kills a, uh, an Egyptian at one point and uh, he gets sent off into the desert for 40 years. And while he's there, God, uh, at the end of the 40 years, God calls him and we read about this in Exodus 3. Let's have a look at that. And he's going to be called to lead millions of people out of Egypt from this situation of slavery and in Exodus 3 verse 10 God speaking to Moses and he says go I'm sending you to Pharaoh and you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt but Moses protested to God 
Who am I to, befe- to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now, just stop right there. To be fair, I don't think Moses is particularly rebellious or wrong in saying this because this is a big gig. And he's had a go before and he's thought, I'm not the man. I'm not the guy. I'm just being a shepherd now. This is a bit freaky. And, and so he, he pushes back, even though God's telling him he should do it. God answers in verse 12, I will be with you. And this is a key point that we keep hearing. I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Again, I think Moses would be fair enough in saying, God, that doesn't sound like a, a great sign up front. That's sort of like after the event. Can I have a sign before? If I'm, like, You know what I'm saying? Like he says, I'll be with you. And here's the sign. He's like, oh, cool. God's going to smite half of them, you know, or he's going to give me an angel of with Thor's hammer or some power and, and God just says, just do it and then you can worship me. And I just think Moses is struggling. So he protests again. He goes, look, if I go to the people of Israel, he hasn't even got to Pharaoh now. He's thinking, I've got to go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They'll say, well, what's his name? And, and, what, what should I tell them then? He, he's like, what's my, where's my credibility? What a, and so God doesn't help him again. He said, God replies, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And I, 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 I can really relate. Moses, is, he's really not satisfied, you know. Um, and when you read on, you find God that says, look, the Israelites will accept you as their leader. And then you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to ask Pharaoh's permission to go and worship out in the wilderness. And you're going to take all the people and you're not going to come back. Um, And Moses protests again. And so God then does give Moses some miraculous powers. He says, all right, all right, throw your staff down and turns into a snake and then goes back to a staff. Moses is saying, this is helpful. I could could work with this. All right, now put your hand in here. Ah, it's leprous. Now it's okay. All right, that's going to impress him. And then you're going to turn water into blood. And All right, all right. But he's still not convinced. He's still thinking, no, 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 it's not enough. So he protests. And then so Moses' next excuse is, I'm not good with words, which is probably not true. He was brought up very well in Pharaoh's family and he's really clutching at straws now. I can't talk, you know. And and God says, well, listen, who made your mouth? God reminds him, uh, you know, most importantly, uh, that he'll go with him. Again, he reiterates, I will be with you. Still is enough for Moses. Finally, Moses just has run out of excuses and he pleads. He says, God, please just send someone else. <laughs> he's, he's, I go, I look, okay, okay. I know, you're very clever. You've answered all my objections. Can you just choose someone else? Just, can we just leave it at that? I'm just not the guy because it's a huge intimidating task. God's angry with that, interestingly, because when God chooses someone, and God chooses you to do something, and God's got a call on you, who are you to argue? He knows better. He knows he's going to make it work. It, we can't see it. We don't need to see it. And it frustrates him. And then 
it frustrates God, more importantly. And, and so he's angry with Moses and he says, all right, all right, fine. You can have Aaron as your companion, your brother. Take him along. But the main point of confidence that God wants Moses to have is the presence of God, is the fact, I will be with you. That's all you need. That's all you need to know, all you need to have. And several times throughout the whole passage, God is basically saying that, I will go with you. And several times Moses keeps coming back with, thanks, but can I have a sign? Can you send someone else? Can I, I just Basically, he's not confident in knowing that God is with him because he doesn't know God well enough. He's just aware of God. God's out there. God's kind of doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. But there's no connection. There's no relationship. And that's the friction that you see in this constant, this interchange. But, but fast forward to Mount Sinai. And scholars tell us that this may only be one or two years down the track, but a lot has happened in the meantime. Because Moses has led the people out of Egypt. He's grown up. He's confronted Pharaoh a number of times. And now they're out and they're in the wilderness. And now he's gone up on the mountain and he's encountering God. He's in the presence of God and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And so we're out down into Exodus 32-ish now. And... Uh, and, and of course, you may know the story, Moses in the presence of God up on the mountain, the opposite's happening down at the bottom of the mountain. People being as they are, being fickle and impatient, they've said, gee, Moses has been gone for a long time. Maybe this isn't right, this isn't working out. So what do they do? They get their gold together. They go to Moses' offsider and says, let's, let's make another God. So they melt it down, they make a golden calf and they start worshipping it and dancing around saying, this is the God that took us out of Israel, out of Egypt. And uh, it's, you know, not surprisingly, not impressing the one true God who really did take them out of Egypt. Um, and so he wants to wipe them all out. And God tells Moses, he says, right, I'm, gonna, I'm done with them. I'll wipe them out. And trust me, I've done it before. You know, uh, a la Noah's time. Uh, Moses incredibly steps in. In fact, God says to Moses, I'll wipe them out, but don't worry, I'm still going to make a great nation out of you because you're okay. Moses says, no, uh, please uh, don't do that. And there's an incredible verse in Exodus 32, 14, where it says God changes his mind. So there's a conundrum and a point of conversation for theologians about predestination and God's sovereignty and God and but Moses has now got to this place where he can engage with God to change his mind and hold back his wrath his wrath if you're from America um, uh, to wipe out this whole bunch of people and so God says all right go you can go to the promised land I'll send an angel to lead you so you know previously they've had the the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day. No mention of that. God says, I'll just send an angel. And Moses' response to that tells us how far his relationship with God has developed. Because if you look at Exodus 33, is that coming up there? Exodus 33, verse 13. Moses says this to God. If it is true, Lord, that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully. And continue to enjoy your favour. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. And then Moses said, 
if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favourably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. So now Moses is so much more closely connected to God, he doesn't want to go anywhere or do anything without the presence of God. And you compare that to Exodus 3. God's presence wasn't enough back then. That's all that he was offered. And Moses was saying, yeah, what else you got? Can I, the leprosy, the stick, the snake, that might help you. He's looking for something spectacular and, and supernatural. He needed something more dramatic. And now from Exodus 3 to Exodus 33, God's presence is all that matters to him. He's growing up. He's really arrived. And look at verse 13. He, he's gone from show me miracles to show me your ways. He just, he just wants to know the ways of the Lord. He just wants to be in touch with the Lord. In fact, if you go back a few verses earlier in this same chapter, uh, verse 8, it says, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, if you get up there, Exodus 33, verse 8, yes, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camps, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Did you see that? Verse 11. God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Wow. That's quite special and powerful and the core foundational essence of what and how what Moses did and how he could do it. And he had arrived to realise this is the most important thing. It's this relationship I've got, uh, that I've got with God and, and that's the foundation of what I'll do for the Lord. And, you know, you read through the Old Testament, there's so many other examples like that where, like David, little scrawny kid, slays Goliath, ends up becoming king of Israel, all because not of his natural prowess as a warrior or brilliant politician or tall in stature it was all about his close relationship with the Lord which we get to read about through many of his psalms and then you got Samson you know Samson often pictured as this muscle-bound gym junkie but I'm convinced there's nothing in the Bible that gives any evidence of him being naturally a big guy because it said the spirit of the Lord would come mightily upon him and then he'd be strong so I reckon he was just a regular dude Maybe even a skinny-looking dude. Who knows? But just a normal-looking guy. And the strength wasn't in the long hair. The long hair just represented the covenant relationship that he had with God. And the Spirit of God would come upon him. And Joshua, we just read about, the successor to Moses, he ends up taking the people into the promised land, having a number of successful military campaigns to take the land, very committed to God, and uh, that's the basis because we, we even from a young age, you could see he lingered around the tent where Moses was meeting with God. He loved the presence of God. Now you fast forward to today in the New Testament era, 
you know, we have an incredible opportunity to walk closely with God because Jesus has come, cleanses us from sin. We have him living inside us through the Holy Spirit. So God is really just not out there. He is really in here if we want him to, if we tune in and listen. And if we look at John 15, um, you can see this amazing passage. Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples and he says in verse 4, remain in me or abide in me, traditional translations would say, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that last statement. Something in it says, well, I I don't know about that, Lord. I can do quite a few things, actually. You know, just, you know, what's this? I can build a business. I can, uh, uh, you know, I can go fishing. I'm pretty good at this. I'm a sailor, fisherman, you know, know, run my own business. Got a big truck, Mac truck. I can drive drive a Mac. Hand up here if you can drive a Mac truck. Hand up here if you own a Mac truck. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. I saw another hand going up there. It's a little Tonka one, isn't it? You know, but, uh, uh, you know, we can all do things. Jesus said, nothing. Oh, well, I don't know. You know, (laughs) I just love that. He doesn't say what you do won't be of much consequence in light of all how glorious God is, but you're okay. He says, no, it's a waste of time. Total waste of time above him. And we all want to lead a fruitful life. We want to produce something. We want to enjoy blessing and abundance and make a difference and all that. And that life flows from abiding in the vine, from remaining and connecting and being in close relationship with the Lord Jesus, the true vine, the source of life, without whom we just we shrivel up and die on the inside. You cut a tree, you cut the branch off the tree, it looks absolutely green and healthy initially but it doesn't take long before it's dead. And that's exactly what's going on when we're cut off from the vine. Now, of course, Jesus had been making the lifestyle that he's talking about, he'd been making that available for those disciples because the way he came shows God's heart, again, to be in relationship because he didn't come distantly, trumpets, angels, security, watch out, here comes Jesus. He's here to save the world, make way, get back, you know, uh, paparazzi all, you know, pushing them back. He's just scuffing around in the dusty streets with these raggedy fishermen. Incredible. Uh, and, and he hangs out with them, does life with them, as they say. But, of course, for us, I mean, we're not physically in touch the way they were, but we still have the opportunity to tune our spirits in, to be aware there's a whole spiritual side of life. And we can connect with the Lord and be in relationship with him, just as he promises there. And to be abiding in the vine, connected to the vine. And, uh, and in fact, in that same passage that John recorded a few verses later, look at verse 15. He's got these amazing words of promise. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves or servants because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me. Isn't that incredible? This statement. You know, if that wasn't in the Bible, 
it would still all make sense. It would still be right that the Lord Jesus came, sacrificed his life. We had to repent, turn from our sins, worship God. You know, and, and he's our Lord, our master, the prince of peace, king of kings. And all that. But th- that promise just stands out as talk about going to the next level. The Lord says, yeah, I've done all that, but I will be your friend. I will be so close to you, you can hear my heart I will share things with you the father shares with me I'll share with you so we're not just sinners saved by grace we're not just servants and soldiers and and workers for God we are called to be friends of God isn't that amazing and uh, again spoken to the first disciples but intended for anyone who wants to be a disciple and intends to be and chooses to walk in life as a disciple of Jesus. So this year, my encouragement is in your career, in your studies, in your family, in your service for God, whatever you do to get your priorities right and to start with your relationship with the Lord, with a strong devotional life and habit to keep walking and talking with the Lord because our work for God has to be based and flowing out of our walk with God and and there's plenty of work to be done. You know, we, in his house, there's always something for us all to be involved in. And we'll talk more about that as we get into the year. Um, but, you know, we, we, we just got to keep close to the Lord, to know his voice, to understand his ways. We need his grace, his forgiveness, be able to get along with others, with each other. We'll talk more about that next week. And, uh, and our activity in life, our ministry for God, uh, really should be this natural outcome of a relationship with him our love with him rather than a duty or or or, you know just another job to be done i'll just close with a quote i wrote this down a few years ago uh from david wagner he's a prophet and preacher who was speaking at a conference we're at in melbourne and he said this simply if you want to build a great ministry fall in love with jesus all over again and i remember jotting that down and having that sit in my heart thinking it's it is that simple there's, there's more things to be done in life, but to walk with the Lord, to have a close, loving relationship with him, that's the foundation we're talking about. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Cheese.